Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Pop Increase podcast. Uh, this is your host, Alan. And along with me, we have uh, our usual uh, co-host, Ani. Hello. And also, Anand, who managed to bribe his way back into the podcast again. Stop lying, Alan. You know that you got a lot of mail from fans demanding that I return. Sure, yeah. I definitely go through a fan mail. Yes, that's a thing. Mailbag yeah. Mondays, as we call them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it's it's a tradition at the pop increase, and yeah, we had a lot of requests to bring Anand back to the podcast. So yeah, welcome back, Anand. Thank you. Uh, it's been an interesting week of Test cricket being back with us. Um, uh, it was a it was a game which didn't see results, uh, but we could see uh, New Zealand playing a more attacking brand of cricket. We we never would have seen them go so all out before, I mean, give England these many opportunities to win. But um, what do you guys think of the game? That was very interesting, actually. I mean, I I thought it was going to be one-sided when England um, lost six wickets, but it still continued to throw in a lot of surprises. And yeah, if it wasn't for the rain, maybe we would have got a result. But there's also a possibility of rain influencing um, the batting innings itself, but looking at England play, I mean, I think it's more got to do with their fragility than the rain itself. Yeah, so I'm the highlights guy here, but, uh, you know, I was mostly looking at individual performances. I kind of figured when the rain came that we probably will be in line for a draw. So I was just, I mean, I was mostly looking at what uh, New Zealand is doing because of the of the finals looming ahead. And uh, I mean, I, I, I got a lot out of it. I got a lot out of watching um, how they batted. And, uh, uh, you know, weirdly enough, uh, like even England didn't really give me a lot to, to chew on this game. Uh, and And so, yeah, I think most of my observations are coming on the New Zealand side of things today. Mm, yeah, and uh, if we have to look at how uh, our predictions are playing so far, I think uh, we're doing pretty okay, aren't we? Like Conway debuted. Uh, Conway is the leading run scorer so far. Southie leading the wicket takers also. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're doing pretty well, I guess. Burns also topping the list for England. Uh, but uh, the one man that I would want to talk about uh, is Devin Conway. Uh, what a dream debut huh, for a man who played uh, most of his cricket in South Africa, moved to New Zealand a few years back to start fresh, debuting for New Zealand at Lords, a double century uh, on debut, man of the match. The only thing that was probably missing was uh, for him to uh, get the sweet taste of a first test match victory. And yeah, carry I mean, the well, bat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, what's even more staggering is that Conway isn't even an opener. Um, whenever he opened, his average was around 25-odd in first class. And his averages were very high when it came to 3 and 4. And first a smash, Lord's test, he's asked to open. And he goes, smashes a 200. His entire teammates, the next highest score was 60. And that's it. So, it's essentially yeah. because of him that New Zealand are in such a winning position. And I, I don't think you can ask for anything more than that. I mean, he adapted to every situation put in front of him brilliantly. I mean, he, he paced his innings quite well. Like, first he started attack. And then once he realized that wickets were tumbling down, I mean, three wickets fell down quickly. 
he immediately slowed his tempo, played a more measured innings, and then once uh, the tails are coming, he started to attack with Wagner again and played such a great knock. I mean, it was a very measured knock of an experienced player rather than uh, that of a debutant. It's his uh, vast experience playing first-class cricket. I think it just showed a lot on that on that innings on that day. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to first like sort of pat myself on the back for getting the, at least the New Zealand side of the predictions like completely spot on. I got Saudi right, I got Conway right. And uh, on the other hand, I would like to really throw Zach Crawley and Stuart Broad under the bus for disappointing me <laughs> like the way they did. But uh, back to Devon Conway, uh, I actually wouldn't have known that uh, he's not a, an actual opener because he looked incredibly assured. I thought he looked even more assured than Tom Latham did in that uh, in the, at the beginning of the of the game. And I mean, that, that kind of stuck throughout. And I feel like he was playing with, he was playing, he was so assured. He, he was playing with such confidence and uh, there was, he was not really giving any chances. Now, England didn't really probe any of the batsmen too much. I was not very impressed with the England bowling performance. They got the wickets, but uh, they got, you know, Kane out cheaply, Ross Taylor out cheaply. But I feel like for the most part, they weren't really asking too many questions of the New Zealand batsmen. But uh, regardless, I just think the way uh, Conway, like you said, paced his innings, um, I mean, this looks like a, a veteran talent. And in one game, he might have just taken the <laughs> Tom Blunton's, uh, Tom Blundell opening spot uh, for good right now. Because yeah. this is the kind of debut. Unless you're in India, you're, you're definitely getting a call back after this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I was hearing the commentary on, I think, uh, the second day. And it was Simon Dool who, I think, said uh, uh, Blundell also was in a, a full-time opener. He was also called into the side to, to open the innings. And he's forged a good partnership. But Conway's just blown it out of the water. Uh, I mean, I think it's Bla- it's uh, it's Simon Dool who was saying it. I'm not not entirely sure, well, but yeah. I think actually, it. yes, because Blundell's a keeper, so mm-hmm. I mean, it's a ridiculous risk to make keepers open first. But Blundell normally plays at five and sixes and very attacking batsman. He's actually in contrary to what New Zealand normally do with uh, bottling. So, yeah, New Zealand have a habit of um, just tinkering their orders and the openers a bit because the rest of the orders settle. So. It's the newbies who have to adjust for them and what have done quite well. Yeah. To be honest. And what, what I was even more surprised with was um, opening with two left-handers, knowing how Stuart Broad usually has his tails up when a left-hander is batting. I thought it was a brave decision to move Conway up as the opener. I, but I guess there was no other spot available. I initially thought Taylor would be the one to sit out this game and Conway would get his debut. Uh, but yeah, it, it ended up that Conway would open the innings and... I actually, I am too pretty uh, disappointed in Broad because I don't think he had a great, not a single great spell all throughout the test match. Felt like he really didn't test any any of the left-handers who he supposedly has a great record against. His lines were awful. A lot, a lot of stuff on the pads, down the leg. Uh, mm-hmm. He just couldn't find his line. He couldn't really ask any questions. Lengthwise, yeah. it was fine. But I mean, if you're going to give it straight to the, like if you're going to give it at a, you know, very easy line to hit and like just sort of flick through and rotate the strike. Like, yeah, you're not really doing anything. You're not really putting the batsman under any pressure yeah. uh, in that situation. 
uh, and you know who's actually going to be the happiest person after that performance from Broad? I think it's going to be David Warner. Yeah, and Ed Smith for uh, justifying <laughs> dropping Broad during those um, Pakistan series. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, what's I think maybe a little surprising that I think that even though Conway got to two hundred, I still feel that both sides were on the path. I think this wasn't that um, troublesome a wicket. I mean, sure there was the occasional swing of the pitch, but uh, it wasn't uh, something which you normally see in England. And one thing is that England are looking to change their pitches for the Ashes because they want to accustom their bowlers to uh, Australian wickets. And this is uh, this pitch was actually a step in that direction. So I actually expected a game where it would go up to 400, 450. But I guess the rain did lead to more swing coming off the pitch. But uh, I still feel that both sides could have done a lot better when it comes to batting and relied too much on one person than anything else. Yeah, I, feel I tend like, to uh, agree. Yeah, I, I feel go like ahead. New Zealand kind of coasted. New Zealand just kind of coasted because the first two wickets, uh, Latham and Kane, you know, they, they both chopped it on. Um, I felt like there was some level of lethargy to the to the New Zealand batting. Um, I mean, England, you, you can obviously look at the inexperience of the batting lineup, uh, relatively speaking. And I mean, Joe Root obviously had a very good first innings. Um, but the, but yeah, I felt like New Zealand really, to me, it didn't look like um, they were really turned on. And I, I don't I don't see them having another, I would say, as anemic of a batting performance overall as they performed today, uh, this last game. Yeah, also, it was a bit of a shambolic display after uh, the wicket of Nichols, because I think they lost about uh, six, seven wickets for about 40 runs. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, at one point it felt like Conway was going to be robbed of his 200 on debut. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I hope the second test they do put on a better show. More importantly so, because the all-important final would be like three, four days after that. Uh, it would, yeah, it would be, it would be great also if uh, Williamson hits his form. He's, he's actually been in bad form in abroad tests uh, in the recent years. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I mean, um, actually, the most surprising aspect of Williamson's farm away is his poor-ish record in England. I mean, I say poor-ish because um, most players do, uh, don't have uh, average 30 in England aren't uh, considered bad because England's not an easy place to bat. But this is something Williamson is kind of used to. I mean, he's known for grinding out of very difficult situations when wickets are tumbling around him. And... In New Zealand, the ball still nips out here, though it, the condition might be better for batting. But um, I think in the recent tests against Pakistan, uh, where um, it really required Williamson to concentrate and play a very composed innings, because the Pakistan bowling attack was very good during that match for some sustained period of spells. So I'm surprised why he's unable to translate that to England, because we clearly know he's got the skill to play in swinging wickets. And I'm just shocked how he's not able to uh, crack the England court, so to speak. I think it will be very much in uh, the nature of fate that Kane Williamson doesn't play well in the next match and then just 
fix it up right on time to have a match winning innings at the finals. I feel like that's that that is very much on the cards. Um, I think there's nothing. I mean, I think it's just really results. Technique wise, that I didn't really see too much wrong with what Kane was doing. I think he was just uh, he was playing a little late. Um, what from what I saw, but yeah, I, I feel like um, it's for for a batsman like him, it will you know come naturally sooner rather than later. So I'm not too too worried about uh, his form per se. He's the last person I'm worried about, honestly, when he goes on a bad form. Yeah, I suppose uh, Indian fans would be hoping that the bad form continues though for one more game. Uh, but yeah, uh, I guess uh, New Zealand are even more bolstered with the uh, inclusion of Trent Bolt in the next test. So uh, hopefully they put on a stronger show and get a result in the final test of this uh, series against England. But uh, focusing on the hosts, uh, they had uh, a couple of debutants in their side too. And uh, one person really stood out for both reasons on the field and off the field. But let's let's try and speak about his off the field uh, remarks later. Uh, coming to his uh, debut, Ollie Robinson, what did you guys make of him? He actually got the most swing out of the pitch. More than even Jimmy Anderson, the greatest exponent of swing in the modern era. And... His lines and lengths were really attacking and very disciplined. He really ensured that the New Zealand batsmen could not get going. And even when they tried to accelerate in the second innings, he was going at under two runs per over at one point of time, which is why he ended up getting two quick wickets. And in the second innings, he really troubled Williamson throughout. And that's not something uh, you'd normally say, because even when Williamson gets out for low scores, he always looks assured. It's, it's uh, so very surprising because I read in Cricket for somewhere that in terms of percentage of in-control shots, Williamson easily tops the list. He's around 90% in control all the time and Ollie Robinson troubled him and that's no mean feat, especially on debut. So, I mean, it was two great debut performances, both of which both of which acted as, they, as if they had more experience than their um, international record suggests. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, Ollie Robinson, even before the game, he I think he told the media how he's going to try and get the wicket of Williams and it's exactly what happened in the second innings. Yeah, I mean, and he gets a little bit of um, nip off of the off of the seam. A decent amount of movement. Uh, the way he trapped uh, Ross Taylor in the first innings, I thought that's a, that's a good sign of things to come. A decent pace, fairly consistent. I thought he was the most consistent uh, mm-hmm bowler throughout most disciplined um and uh, yeah i mean like uh, it's it's exciting i think uh the unfortunate thing is you know full strength england for one of these big tournaments you know he's not really high on the on the pecking order but i think um you know he really uh, you know just having another guy out there that seems seems very promising i think england would be very happy with that yeah, uh, don't you also think his action kind of reminds you of uh, Josh Hazelwood or even Kyle Abbott? Yeah, for sure, for sure. A lot, of, a lot on the shoulder. Yeah. A lot on the shoulder, not a particularly quick run-up. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's a very good call. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, unfortunate for Robinson. A lot of his uh, tweets from him as a teenager has been uncovered and uh, he, it's resulted in a suspension which has created a snowball effect where a lot more tweets of other players have also been come into scrutiny. Uh, 
first like let's focus on robinson though do you guys think that he's being treated a bit too harsh oh that is it's a one game suspension right yeah in, i mean is it? i think it's a, an indefinite one right like i mean until because the they investigation because they initiated yeah. an investigation yeah. yeah so there's a oh. lot more nuance to this because uh, there are a lot of factors at stake for the ecb and um, in the wake of the black lives matter movement uh, a lot of uh, accusations uh, resurfaced uh, and were leveled against the B, uh, ecb's structural racism and this was echoed by many players and even former players i think michael carberry is the most notable of all the players who leveled accusations against the ecb county structure so it's imperative for them to take some action and that's why you see you saw the increasing amount of what looks like pr exercises because i haven't seen them uh, try and implement any large scale changes to the county structure but this is why you see a lot of pr exercises such as the spirit of unity which occurred just before the cricket match and yeah the main thing is um, the ollie robinson tweets were revealed just at the moment when they were um, show when the england players are showcasing the their spirit of unity so to speak and if the ecb did not investigate it would be disingenuous at best hypocritical at worst so they definitely need to show that they are willing to take steps and actually uh, make some changes in the structure which is already pretty uh, racist towards uh, a lot of asians and and uh, africa and african british and one other problem was that um, during robinson's career at yorkshire uh, he got fired for unprofessional conduct even his coach at that time jason gillespie said that if you see a player who's involved in such unprofessional behavior it's best to sack him and one of those reasons was um, bad time keeping and lack of practice but there are a lot more other reasons which haven't been revealed as of yet and it's quite murky because uh, because he's an english player right now he's under so much scrutiny it probably wouldn't have occurred during the counties if he was just uh, a normal county cricketer playing for sussex but now uh, because this situation is revealed his previous tweets uh, it could also shed some light on what exactly transpired at yorkshire so for me if it's going to improve the system and lead to more inclusive cricket i'm all for it but um, if the investigation shows that there's no malice or um, any uh, or uh, continuous um, a robinson showing sustained behavior of the sotro then fine you uh, then they they find they can suspend him but if there's nothing there then sure i i think one game is harsh enough and um if uh, and he can come back to play if the investigation clears it yeah i mean i think that's that's pretty much hitting the nail on the head i think you know the thing is it to me it feels like i i'm a little more cynical about england actually doing anything concrete when it comes to uh you know figuring out uh race and integration and things like that this is a concurrent problem in uh in their football uh team as well uh unfortunately a lot more so there a lot more prominent there but yeah i mean i think you know uh and and also you uh, you've got uh, uh england being sort of like the home of cricket and sort of the the founder uh kind of really they 
they should be the bastion of cricket and the, and and you know uh, a mo- uh, you know the gentleman's game should sort of mean something in in terms of inclusivity and 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 inclusivity and being you know sort of harmonious regardless of you know race or uh, gender or anything like that so i, I think uh, i i don't know uh, exactly what uh, they're investigating now that you brought up the yorkshire stuff maybe that's a big that's going to be a big part of it uh, i think you know ollie robinson has apologized i think the 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 nature of news and social media nowadays means that it's probably going to be forgotten pretty soon i don't really think you're really putting his career at any kind of major risk by revealing you know he had these views at a point in time and you know if he's displayed uh if he's displayed that he's changed or grown from being you know an edgy teenager that that probably said stupid shit uh then you know obviously you can let him back or you can make a concerted effort to get you know send him to counseling or some kind of inclusivity program um i don't really care too much for people outcrying england's uh, suspension while they uh while they investigate what's going on i think i think it's perfectly fair uh for robinson yeah i feel an investigation is fair because it's warranted given given the history and the nature of uh the 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 allegations made against him so i think it's fair it's just that i don't want him to be made out as in some sort of an example just to show that the ecb is you know trying to make some structural changes to their to the accusations against them that's the only only fear that i have because um he's still a fairly young cricketer in his career and he's pretty talented you can see that you wouldn't want something like this to be uh something like this as an opportunity for the ecb to like you know to show that oh we have a scapegoat now let's let's make use of it i mean i think if they go super harsh on him to make an example i don't i mean that's not really a structural change right because the 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 idea of you know doing structural change especially on the county level is you know things like recruitment hiring and you know opportunity equal opportunity um, equal access to resources yeah. and stuff so if uh, you know i think on, from on that side you know they have to probably take thing uh, take what you know cricketers like michael carberry has said much more seriously and you know also you know talk about uh, ask about you know chris jordan and jofra archer's experiences um for sure and i think they need to do that obviously mess the message and the optics and the symbolism and all that obviously is very important i think that that definitely matters but i feel like if that is the bulk of what they're going to be focusing on with these dolly robinson uh tweets i think that's like really sort of missing the forest for the trees there uh so mm-hmm. i i think the investigation will go as far as i mean for me i'm pretty cynical about england you know truly changing their system for the better uh anytime soon but i think as far as this investigation goes i i feel it'll it'll be pretty hard to mess mess up uh and on that regard yeah i mean what i feel is um there's a good likelihood that he's going to be cleared it's just that the one game would show that ecb are taking some initiative though i'm not so i don't believe them entirely but it's great pr on their part <laughs> especially since Tony Harrison the ECB chairman has again come up and said that we will not tolerate any of this and I'm going to be very stringent about all mm. um 
racism and sexist issues within the English uh, English board. So yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm as cynical as you are because right now the spirit of unity looks like a very elaborate PR exercise. For me. Uh, I still don't see any uh, major change in the structure. I hope this uh, serves as a catalyst for, for greater change to come. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, Ollie Robinson does come back to the English setup quick because he's a he's a pretty talented bowler, and we'd like to see him do well. Yeah, moving on from the English team, there's another series that's going to start, and um, it's the West Indies versus South Africa series, and this is actually part of the uh, World Test Championship cycle. So, uh, how weird is it that a World Test Championship cycle is actually not going to be concluded when the finals actually start? This is like taking the term dead rubber to a whole new level, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I, I'm assuming they, there's no issue with including this. And I believe even the current England-New Zealand series is a part of the World Test Championship. But obviously, the outcome of either of these series would not uh, change who makes it to the finals. So, yeah, um, I guess, you know, this is going to be a bilateral series like any other. The the uh, I don't know, is there any kind of like a monetary incentive for finishing slightly higher in the table? Uh, because no. if not, then, you know, this is just like a normal <laughs> bilateral series, really. And I think, uh, uh, and from that, from that standpoint, it's actually good for both these teams because they're both in sort of the middle of a rebuild, West mm-hmm. Indies perennially so. But uh, yeah, so I think, you know, both of them would you know appreciate having the series regardless of uh, how minimally it would affect the the points table or, or anything like that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the England New Zealand series is actually even more meaningless than um, this West Indies South Africa series because it's not a part of the future tours program, nor it's a part of the World Test Championship. It's mostly a series meant for the broadcasters, nothing else. So, <laughs> the, it's if if you talk about monetary incentive. Um, and uh, there's only that for the England News and Series. At least the West Indies South Africa Series has some pretext of a World Test Championship, even though it's going to conclude. But yeah, I mean, the England News and Series was all the more pointless. But I think from a cricketing standpoint, this, is, this could not have come at a better time because both these sides have brought in new players and they're both are trying to rebuild and some of their older players are regaining form. So this is the perfect time for both the teams to clash against each other. And I hope it will be a good series. Yeah, I, I actually am pretty excited for this series. Uh, I mean, obviously I would be, I, I'm a fan of the South African cricket team. So, uh, but yeah, bias aside, uh, it's actually, I think two sides who are at least on the same level uh, on overall quality, especially the current West Indies side under uh, Brathwaite, they've shown to be pretty resolute. Uh, good batting uh, in there. So, I think they're also pretty good at home. Uh, I think it's going to be a good series to watch on just your cricketing level. Uh, West Indies have released their final uh, preliminary squad of 13 members for this, for this uh, tour, for this test. Uh, and there were a few surprising omissions, uh, starting with Shannon Gabriel. Did you, did you guys actually think West Indies were not going to go ahead with Gabriel for the first test? Uh, um, I mean, I've not, I'm not, never been a big fan of Gabriel. Um, I mean, I'm looking at what their bowling 
the options are. I feel like they will bring him in to the series eventually if they want to mm-hmm. maintain the sort of rotation uh, policy. But I think you know, um, I think it's good to give um, Alzari Joseph um, some more reps and get him get his confidence up. So I'm not uh, I, I'm not too worried about Gabriel. He's probably going to get back in in one mm-hmm. of the later tests. I have a weird question. So, did West Indies do what some Indian fans have always wanted, in that uh, they took the opportunity of Jason Holder being injured to just switch their captain? Uh, no, uh, I think is there uh, any legitimate was, uh, reason for Jason Holder to lose his job? Yeah, I think the reason was they wanted a different direction for the West Indies uh, Test team. I think it was the New Zealand tour in which uh, Brathwaite first became the captain and. Uh, the reason I think they gave was to see if uh, West Indies can establish a more winning mentality. Yeah, I mean, Holder yeah. is considered very defensive. And uh, actually, in the New Zealand tour, um, he was, I mean, in the first two tests, he actually allowed Williamson to get away with yeah. uh, a lot of opportunities as well. And Nichols was dropped, I think, three or four times. And even though he was, he gave them a lot of chances, Holder just said very defensive feels for Nichols because Nichols played a very streaky innings that match, though he got a hundred. But he said a very defensive field for Nichols, and everyone wondered why he would he was doing that. So I guess it's more to free up Holder to regain his batting form as well. His batting form has dipped a bit, so to um, just establish himself as one of the world's best all-rounders, which he is, and uh, free himself up more and allow Bratwith to maybe yeah. move in a more attacking direction. And I think it's actually working because um, in the Sri Lanka series, you could actually see Holder was really enjoying his cricket again. So, um, yeah, it does feel like he's okay, the, the pressure of captaincy has gone off his shoulders. And uh, Sri Lanka, I mean, the Sri Lanka tour actually showed like West Indies wanting to take the game by its collar. So, yeah, it felt like it felt yeah. more like, you know, the cutthroat West Indies performance that we've heard about. Surprisingly, it even showed Sri Lanka wanting to do that. But, yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, I've always heard that like Jason Holder is like one of the more important captains because of when he kind of was appointed to that role and like the, the absolute shit show that the West Indies board was at the time and the players that they were losing and just, you know, what the state of the, the test team was at the time. And then, you know, the result in England, uh, the result against England at home was like, you know, it was it was so it was it was so kind of monumental that it it kind of felt uh, almost uh, unthinkable for me that they would sort of move on from him. But uh, you know, I'm still I'm glad he's still like you know he's still probably going to be a veteran leader. He's a he's a guy that all of his teammates really like a lot and look up to. So you know, I'm I'm really excited to see him. You know, go go all out on on both ends. You know. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely Holder's had a great record and. His contribution to West Indies, both as a player and captain, is undeniable. I think what really changed the trick for them was the Bangladesh series because they won a very improbable game with Myers and Bona. And so they realized with the presence about Myers and Bona that they actually had batting to pull off some victories. And this needed a, a captaincy shift. Like, um, Holder was a defensive captain and his victories were more like uh, to applying relentless pressure and very disciplined lines. Uh, but Brathwaite now, because he had the presence of 
to very talented batsmen. He could now afford to be a little more attacking, and that's why I guess they wanted a change in direction. Yeah, and uh, it seems like West Indies cricket board uh, is a bit more sorted now, and the the team's also doing pretty good. Uh, they've been very competitive uh, in almost all formats. They were defending champions of the T20 World Cup. Uh, so yeah, it looks like it's a it's all looking upwards for the West Indies cricket board, uh, and also looking upwards for Shai Hope because he's back in the West Indies cricket team, given the new role of opening. Uh, I'm not really sure if that's the best move for for him personally because it's going to be facing both Notka and. Rabada at St Lucia which I'm anyone better than John Campbell <laughs> that's it um, yeah fair but they do also have Kyron Powell in the squad so i mean i'm not sure if they really want to experiment with hope as the test opener against yeah that's true but these two. if i'm correct it's a 13 it's 12 man squad right or it's a 13 man uh, squad yeah so i i don't know if uh, have they announced that uh, hope is going to be the opener No, they they haven't announced him as the official opener, but he's one of the three candidates. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, I, 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 would, I think that's because he shined in the practice game. I think he yeah. hit a hundred or something for Team Hamilton versus. I'm not sure exactly which team, but yeah, I think that's why they wanted to promote. But yeah, I agree. It is uh, a dubious um, choice to say the least. But we'll see. I'm, I'm, I mean, he's too talented a player to sit out him. I mm. hope this time he actually shines. Yeah, uh, which would bring us to the next talking point, which is the predicted lineups. Uh, do you guys have any any uh, surprises that you want to throw in into the prediction lineups? So with South Africa, I think squad is most likely known. Um, so since Duplessis retired from Tests, the replacement. Mm. Which Elgar himself announced was going to most likely going to be Keegan Peterson. Um, I mean, I think another name which would pop up is Varane, but I think they are rewarding Keegan Peterson for seniority. Uh, so the thing is, I, I'm not sure exactly how this decision works because Keegan Peterson was actually uh, was supposed to play 2018 itself, where he was the top scorer in. Um, There, um, where he was top scorer in their first-class setup with the mm-hmm. best average as well, but they gave the chance as Zubair Hamza, and uh, now after that his form is dipped, and Perain has emerged as the best batsman, but they realized that they weren't being fair to Keegan Peterson, and he's also KP, so might as well let a KP play for South Africa. But But this is where I kind of think it's a 50-50 decision on that end. So yeah, Keegan Peterson has earned his his place in the squad, probably even in the 11. But I think if they don't play Keegan Peterson, Vian uh, Mulder or probably one of the other white players in the South African 11 would have to sit out for the inclusion of Buren Hendricks or Tabre Shamsi. Uh, whereas if Keegan Peterson plays, you don't have to play a Hendricks in the bowling attack. So ah. it's it's them balancing it out, and I think that's why Keegan Peterson is being preferred to Verena. I mean, I could be that's wrong. That's actually a fair point. But um, if I'm correct, um, when South Africa toured Pakistan, um, there was Duplessis, and now Duplessis is being replaced by KP. So uh, I'm not sure if this is purely a quota decision uh, because 
I expect their order to be the same. There's going uh, and so that NDD is going to come back. There's not going to be Linda. Yeah. So there is going to be just NDD, Malda, Prabada, Natya, and Maharaj. So yeah. I I think KP is just there because of Faf to Plessy retiring. I don't think it's a court addition as of now. Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. I said, I could be wrong. It it could be. 50-50 or it could just be purely because he's on the spot. But yeah, you got a feel for both uh, Sal Irvi and uh, Varaina. Irvi is competing with the captain and Markram for an opening spot. He's, he's definitely not going to get a game most likely unless one of them gets injured. Uh, but yeah, I got a feel for Varaina after a great uh, domestic tour, probably not going to debut. Yeah, I've been pretty intrigued by Varian. So, uh, I mean, I guess he's kind of a redundant guy right because he's uh, the keeper as well and I, I'm actually most excited to see how Quentin de Kock performs in this uh, this series will this be the comeback mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, that the burden of captaincy is not on him anymore yeah um, and the other one uh, the other guy you mentioned there uh, Vian, Vian Mulder is that how you pronounce his name yeah, yeah that's his name yeah Mulder, he uh, like I. I think he's a, a really, really good uh, uh, sort of balancing piece there because he's kind of uh, uh, he, he kind of gives has that uh, provides that sort of de grand home role where he's uh, fairly stable and reliable with both the bat and the ball. He's going to be he's fairly economical. He actually has a knack for taking uh, good wickets and breaking partnerships. Uh, mm-hmm. I like him. I like his batting ability, but I really like him in the lineup as the sort of fourth uh, fourth option after uh, Rabada and Giri and Nortier. So yeah, those yeah. are the two guys that I, I kind of have my my eye on. I've never heard or seen of Keegan Peterson ever. So um, I mean, if South Africa finds something interesting there, uh, that would be pretty great. Um, where does does Rassi van der Dusen start? Is is that? Yeah, I think he's the nailed on. I mean, one definitely. I mean, in the yeah. Pakistan tour, there were just two batsmen for them, Markham and Van Okay, so, I, so I, Pete, they, he can't talk. I mean, so Peterson, can't. Peterson is number four. In, yeah, in yep. this, and that's actually he's just a like-for-like like replacement for Duplessis. So right. it's perfect. And even Varan can bat at number four. I mean, he's quite capable of doing that. He, he just probably not be the keeper, and Dickock will. Which actually brings me to a problem because Dickock hasn't looked good at six and mm. Mulder isn't a good enough batsman to play at six. So it's it's going to be a bit of a crime for him even though the captaincy burden has been removed mm. uh, because he wasn't doing well even when uh, he wasn't the captain at number six and that's what I'm a bit concerned of. But uh, see, to be honest, uh, ever since Sandpaper Gate, uh, South Africa played seven test series and uh, they've lost five of those. They haven't won a single test series away. And if you look historically in the last 15 years, South Africa have been a very good touring side. So this is a very new position for South Africa. And I think the problem also has been that uh, they, the recent uh, away testers, they've both been to Asian, Asian countries, India and Pakistan. And this South African team is not known for its ability to play spin. Probably Elgar is pro- the best person there. Duplessy too, but he looked way out of sorts in the uh, Pakistan series. Uh, R- Rasi and Markham sort of got by. But yeah, this this South African side was 
horrible against spin. Uh, but now they're going to West Indies, which uh, I mean, the, the, this ground especially St. Lucia is known for its assistance that it gives to fast bowlers. And South Africa has no problem playing pace of any quality. So I think they should be able to, you know, uh, get runs on the board. Uh, their biggest problem, in my view, is that their opening partnership has not been as strong as they've had historically, at least with Smith and Peterson or even Smith and De Villiers, whoever is open for them. This Elgar Makram partnership is sort of broken, and they really need to start scoring those bucket loads of runs. And I think the fact that they're playing in a ground that's you know familiar conditions for them, they they should be able to sort of strike form. Especially Dickock, even if he plays at at number six or number seven, I think this series he really has to score big. Yeah. Do you think I mean, uh, Rakim Cordwall could like give him some issues, especially being a a finger spinner? And uh, that could that could potentially be the weapon they use against, uh, or even Roston Chase actually, um, against Quinton de Kock when he comes down the order at number six. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's very suspect against spin, but um, I'm not really sure if these two bowlers are going to give him that much of a problem. Because I mean, uh, let's face it, they're not any Ashwin or. Jadeja type bowlers and the ground also is not going to turn massively. So, I mean, I mean, it's going to cause him some problems. He might still get out to them, but I think he's going to play them more fairly comfortably than he played a Yasir Shah or an Ashwin. Actually, I think the worrying thing on the Pakistan series for South, from a South African perspective is that Hassan Ali was the wrecker in chief, not Yasir Shah, not Norman Ali. Yeah. It was Hassan Ali and um, Makram and both of them played spin quite well. I mean, they were by far and away the best bathroom side, especially Markham. Um, the thing is, I'm happy Markham's back in form and he could play both. And the Pakistan series showed that he could play both pace and spin. But I, I think the South African batting lineup is still suspect to good bowling, pace or spin, regardless of that. Because um, Hassan Ali just had uh, one probing spell in the second test when South Africa was actually at a winning position and he got all the wickets in a flash. I think that's the biggest concern for them, their tendency to crumble under sustained pressure. And if Holder gets back at his form and Roach has regained his form in the counties, then I can see South Africa collapsing as well. But the advantage for them or the positive is that West Indies have that tendency too. So it kind of balances out. Yeah, I think it's actually going to be the contest of seeing which bowling attack does better. Because if you see, uh, at least for me, it looks like both the teams are stacked up with fast bowlers. Uh, you have Anrik Nokia and Rabada. Rabada has looked a bit out of sorts the last two years uh, compared to his original levels. Uh, and West Indies, they have Roach, they have Joseph, they have Holder. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you can see that the quality of fast bowlers is pretty high in both these sides. Uh, and the batting is not, you know, comparably on the same level. Like, you, you have the, the, like, one or two good players at the top, and then the middle order is a bit suspect for both. So, uh, maybe West Indies have, like, a slightly more stable middle order right now because of form. But yeah, I think the series is mostly going to be decided by the fast bowlers. I think it's the opposite actually, because the, the weak links of both teams being the batting, I think whichever team sort of 
pulls out and is able to sort of you know uh, navigate these these bowling bowling attacks well. I think that's the that's going to be the difference maker because I think looking at the quality and especially if everybody is on form uh, of of the bowling attacks, especially the fast bowling attack in in Saint Lucia, you you think that they kind of cancel each other out. So I think this is this is the kind of game where um, a Jermaine Blackwood who plays really good counter attacking. Uh, cricket, you know, in the middle of the order, some someone like that could re- really be the the difference between uh, a win and a loss here. So I think which whichever batting can uh, sort of uh, you know oppose the the you know fairly a a level bowling on the opposite team is I think that's the that's the winner of the game. Hmm. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, the team that bats better is probably going to see out the other opposition bowling attack. So yeah, it's, it's most likely going to be that way. Uh, but yeah, any any predictions for the West Indies eleven before we move on? So I, I think Chase comes back. I don't think Chase comes back because um, their their only uh, suspect uh, April area was the second opener because Bonner was number three, uh, Mayas at four, uh, and then they have uh, Blackwood at five, um, Joshua da Silva at six, Holder at seven, and that's it. They're followed by. Conwall at eight, and Conwall can also bat as he showed in the Sri Lanka series. So then Joseph um, Kimar Roach and um, possibly even Jaden Seals might get a debut call. I don't know, but that's what they went with in mm-hmm. Sri Lanka, and I expect that to stay. If maybe the only opening thing is, I think the West Indies believe a lot in Shyok. I think they will get him into the opening position mm-hmm. and not play Kiran Paul. I think that's my prediction for the West Indies squad. And for the South African squad, it's fairly standard. I mean, Markram, Elga, Brasi, and KP. Um, <laughs> then, um, yeah, but then uh, Babu Martikok and Mulder, Nautier, NGD, Rabada, and Maharaj. So, yeah, South Africa is expected, but West Indies, only the opening spot is suspect. But other than that, mm. I think they have a settled squad as well. Yeah, I mean, I I was I was sort of hoping that uh, West Indies play chase and only play three fast bowlers, but yeah, I mean, I guess Jadon Sales gets a gets the call before chase. It's probably going to be a shootout between either or for that last position in the eleven. That that's what I think. And yeah, I completely agree with the South African squad. I don't see any other change over there. I really hope they don't play Duran Hendricks. That's that's all I want. <laughs> I mean, he's. I don't think you don't play him ahead of Inky right? because I think Rabada not not yet. Yeah. Like they're locked in. That's like that's. I guess Inky is the only one, maybe. But yeah, I I, I don't see them playing here in Hendricks mm-hmm. ahead of Inky. Yeah, I I but don't also just, think there's like a particular matchup which gives them sort of edge to play a left arm seamer in Buren Hendricks. Yeah, the only thing is this uh, lineup has been decently uh, sort of injury prone, so maybe that's the that's the pathway for mm. for Hendricks to get in. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, predictions for the for the series. Uh, let's let's start with the uh, batting. Who do you think is going to be the top run scorer for each team and the top run scorer overall? I'm going to go a little conventional on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so glad Markham's back in form. I think he's so talented, and it, I and I was really disappointed by his 
performance in the last year. The best thing South Africa have done is to not burden him with any captaincy or vice captaincy post. So I, I mm-hmm. predict that he will emerge as a South African top scorer. And for West Indies, for me, the best batsman right now is Bonner. And Bonner has been has looked very good in the past two series. And I back him to carry his form. And I predict that Bonner will emerge as the top scorer. Uh, I'll I'll go with Rassi for South Africa, and I think he'll be the overall. I think I like that. I, I I think it is between Markram and Rassi, one of these one of these two dudes, because uh, I I've I've always liked you know just how compact and you know fairly solid they are. Um, and uh, West Indies, it's kind of hard. I I thought that it, it's going to be like by committee with this team, but uh, if if forced to pick, I think I'll also go with Bonner. Um, because yeah, I think he looks like one of the. Finally, you're getting like a West Indian guy who's legitimately consistent throughout series and over an extended duration of time. So yeah, uh, mm. I go with those two guys. And overall, uh, Rassi gets, right. gets most of the ones. Yeah, and I, I'm going to jump again on the uh, debutants train, and I'm going to say that uh, Keegan Peterson's going to come out as the top scorer for South Africa, just because the debutants have been having a good time this month. And uh, for West Indies, uh, I'm I'm a bit undecided. I I want to say uh, Bonner too, but like given that everyone's going with Bonner, I want to go a bit against the wind. Uh, so probably Brathwaite. Uh, yeah, I think it might it might be Brathwaite or Myers, one of the two, who top score for the Windies. And um, overall, yeah, I want to say it's going to be uh, uh, Brathwaite. Right, so if you go into the bowling front, the most sensible option for South Africa would be Nortier. I mean, he's made for these West Indies pitches fast and bouncy. Yep. But I think Rabada's due for a fifer. It's been so long, and he's mm-hmm. too talented a bowler to just shut in and dwindle. I back him to come back. So I'm going with Rabada for South Africa, and for West Indies. I'm going for Roach based on county form. I think Roach would uh, definitely perform a lot better than he and his record in West Indies is much better as compared to his record in any other country. So yep. it's Roach and Rabada and I, I think Roach will uh, emerge as the top kit taker. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I can't even pick anything different. Like you basically said everything I wanted to say. I think this is the Rabada comeback tour. Um, and and I, I I think Roach has been far and away the best West Indian bowler of the last five or so years. Or since whenever he's decided to come back, uh, he's been just he's been awesome, you know. And he's been kind of consistent. He's not uh, Holder is a little hot and cold, as is Azari. So I'm I'm gonna go Kamal Roach uh, for the West Indian side. And I think overall I'm gonna go Rabada. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I I agree with all your points. Uh, the, the the main point though that Nokia being like ideally suited for these wickets, but uh, I I just feel like you know Nokia comes up as the nice guy more than the one who really wants to hit these wickets hard. And I mean he does that a lot, but he he comes up fairly as a nice guy. And um, you know I I kind of miss the express pace bowlers like Mitchell Johnson who come running steaming in and. They're always hot-headed and they're looking to blow your helmet off. I, I kind of miss those kind of fast bowlers. Nokia has the capability, but he he just comes off as a nice guy. I'm not saying that's going to stop him from being the highest wicket taker, 
but i feel like rabada has that skill set and i think that's going to give him a sort of impetus with also wanting to uh make a comeback so i think that's the reason why i'm picking rabada to be the uh top wicket taker for south africa both of them are equally skilled and i mean i would like to see both of them run through the wind west indian order but i really hope this is the rabada comeback series with the uh, west indies uh, i want to say holder just because he's been relieved of captaincy he seems to be enjoying his cricket again so i think uh, this is going to be holder series uh, he'd probably be their highest wicket taker too all right so the big one uh let's go to the 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 result who wins the yeah. series by how much uh is it going to be a blowout is it going to be close what what does it look like well um i think for me uh bias aside i i think they both the teams are really well matched on paper uh i feel like west indies have a slightly more stable batting unit Uh, which is why i'm going to say it's going to be one all or probably one of the teams edges it as a one nil series i hope it's south africa but otherwise i hope it's one all yeah i mean consider looking at the sri lankan west indies pitches i mean uh, it was quite good for batting even though there were those odd collapses from both sides and i think that's exactly what i going to expect from this series as well i mean the sudden collapses and then both sides suddenly scoring of 400 but one side uh, if they're going to edge it i think it's going to be um, right now it might be west indies who on paper who look the better side slightly only not by much but it's been so long i think maybe south africa will string some good partnerships and maybe just edge it one nil uh i'm going the other way i'll go 1-0 west indies i think they'll show a very strong performance in the first game before kind of you know teetering and losing a little bit of the focus in the second um but yeah i think west indies has a slight edge it's at home i think uh, conditions suit them and i just like uh, the way some of their batsmen bat i think it's uh, it's very west indies but it's also been fairly effective in the last few series so um i'm just really excited to see this west indies batting attack you know uh, show some of its quality so i, I think i'm going to go west indies uh, edge out south africa 1-0 uh, and uh, yeah uh, and the and the table then switches over so west indies and ahead of south africa in the, in the final table i mean if yes, i'm correct west indies uh, are ahead of south africa oh they they oh, okay i thought they were one yeah. behind yeah yeah that's, oh, no. that's i think that's actually why i want south africa to to sort of win this series <laughs> uh, south africa redeems it with uh, with the i mean we got we got robbed of like playing this weekend aussie side could have easily finished yeah. maybe fourth I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not a weekend Aussie side. It was a week. It's just a deflated Australian Australia yeah. side, but yeah, yeah. Uh, fair point. It was yeah. I mean, that was Australia's <laughs> loss as well, because you know they could be here in Lords. Yeah, they could have easily just taught South Africa also at their probably lowest point, and you know easily made the finals. But I guess they just didn't care enough. Yeah. 
No, but there were some rumors about Langer's methods or something, and I guess they want to address that. Hmm. Okay, I, yeah. I had no idea about that. We yeah, he's to do, supposed uh, to be a taskmaster, and uh, he's supposed to be uh, very strict and very unforgiving as well. Some players are not fond of his style. Oh yeah, that was pretty evident. Yeah, to do to do post mortem on like post uh, Darren Lehman. Australia, because mm. it's been kind of a, it's been painted as a Cinderella story, but it's been a little uh, underwhelming. Yeah. Uh, even the yeah. comeback Ashes series was not uh, really the comeback that they would have hoped for. Uh, so, so yeah. yeah, I think yeah, yeah I think we, we, it was uh, pretty evident from that that the test documentary too that uh, Lango was actually pretty he was he was seen as a person who had a lot of conflicts with many, many players in the side, was painted as like the one who was weeding out the guys who didn't want to put in the effort. But I don't think they've actually managed to transform Australian cricket in any way. To me, it feels like they're throwing more games now than before. So yeah, I mean, yeah, we, sh- we should definitely look into doing uh, an analysis on how Australia has done since Langer took over. Well, I don't, I mean, yeah, but I even suspect that Langer might not have adapted well to his side. I mean, he was obviously in one of the best teams of all time. And mm. to have the same standards with this Australian lineup is a bit too harsh, to say the least. I mean, relatively yeah. speaking, to the rest of the world, in like considering where Test cricket is with everywhere else, Australia should technically be world-class undefeatable compared to what the rest of the world has to offer. Especially what India had to offer in that particular series. Right? So, yeah. uh, I think it is, there is definitely, it's definitely fair to question an underperformance there. But yeah. Yeah, it's actually a good topic for some time ahead in this month, I guess, when all this cricket feast is starting to slowly die out on us. Uh, so yeah, we should probably definitely pick this up. But I guess until then, we have another couple of test matches and the World Test Championship to look ahead to. Uh, so yeah, until then, this is uh, Alan signing off. This is Annie. Uh, we'll see you next week or next time whenever uh, we choose to have some kind of topic we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, thanks a lot to Alan for joining <laughs> us again. Yeah, no problem. I will be back. I know fans want me. Yeah, yeah. We're going to definitely have a another uh, flurry of fan mails. <laughs>